Welcome, Peculiars, to the Peculiar Movie Club podcast, a bonus podcast to our main show, The Peculiar Book Club, where we will explore movies that share themes or ideas with the books we read on the main show. I'm Davey Barris, my co-host is Darren Cross, and the movie we are doing this month in honor of the book, The Internet Con, How to Seize the Means of Computation by Cory Doctorow, we are doing the 2001 American techno thriller film Antitrust. Uh, you may remember this from the early 2000s. It definitely feels like an early 2000s movie uh, starring Ryan Phillippe, uh, Rachel Lee Cook, Tim Robbins, Claire Forlani, uh, and a, some memorable faces, I would say. Maybe not memorable names, but memorable faces probably from the mid to early 2000s. So, Darren, in case it's been a while since they've seen the movie Antitrust or they've never seen it before, and spoiler warning, of course, we're going to spoil the whole thing and maybe the movie She's All That while we're at it. In case it's been a while since they've seen it or they've never seen it before, what is Antitrust all about? It is about around our main character, Milo Hoffman, who Ryan Phillippe plays. Um, he is... A computer programmer but kind of an award-winning computer programmer we we pick up on their lives which seems like post college and they're like looking for jobs or debating starting their own company um and milo gets recruited uh by a company called nerve n-u-r-v which is i guess sort of like a apple or google-esque uh tech company um, and they're planning on launching this thing that essentially is would be kind of, I suppose, familiar to our times now. Essentially, a thing that kind of connects everybody called Synapse, where you can exchange communications via multiple different ways through multiple devices. Um, and so they rec uh, recruit Milo. Milo agrees and takes the job, um, despite some pushback from his friends. Um, they kind of see it as like selling out um, and he starts working for the company and he, there's this deadline that they have to reach. And while working for the company, trying to reach this deadline, um, he discovers the company is up to some shady business and starts to unravel that, thus uh, creating the conflict of the, of the story and, um, you know, consequences ensue. <laughs> Yes, I always wonder what you're going to tag it with. Consequences definitely ensue in this one for for <laughs> most of the characters. Yeah. Um, it's so funny that they like they envisioned a world where like one platform was just going to be it was going to be the global communication platform to end all platforms. And now in 2024, it you could send iMessages, you could send text messages, you could do WhatsApp, Snapchat, you could do a Facebook post. Like there's thousands and hunt man, I mean not thousands. Hundreds of ways to like send that video file, share that picture. You know, you could have a family mm -hmm. album. You can, and they were like, "Ooh, synapses! It's gonna, it's gonna dominate the world. We're gonna connect every." It's just, it's funny. It's funny looking yeah. back on it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure we will get much more into uh, synapse and some of the the fun times of being in 2001. Uh, okay, overall impressions of the movie. Uh, when we mentioned that we were going to do this movie to Corey Doctorow on the main show, 
I think his impression was basically like, I get why you picked this movie, but I kind of a bad movie in his opinion. Uh, not everybody felt that way. So Darren, what were your overall impressions of this movie? Uh, it's pretty entertaining. Um, I think I was, I was capped captivated for uh the whole movie uh it's you know it's a it's sort of a balance between like techiness right there's a lot of like coding that happens but they don't go too deep into it so it doesn't like you know they don't they don't want the people that don't understand that kind of stuff to like be completely confused and so they touch on it here and there like enough um but also it's you know it's balanced with like action and suspense and especially more so towards the the end of the movie um there's a lot of moving parts it suffers from a little bit of like what a lot of early 2000 movies suffer from there's just like they just kind of have this this feel i don't know it's it's hard to explain Uh, maybe you can explain it better but they just have this there's a lot of movies that came out around them that just sort of feel the same way like it's it's not I don't want to put it in the class of like other like Ryan Phillippe movies or, or uh, Rachel Lee cook movies, but like it it just has that feel to it a little bit. Um, But overall, I mean, I would say I liked it. It was entertaining. It's for, for what it, for what it was supposed to be. I think it was decent. Yeah. I would never say it's a great movie, but entertaining. Sure. Sure. I was entertained. I, it, it does. Okay. So you got to put yourself in the time period, right? Of the early two thousands where uh, tech was emerging as an important part of our life. Like uh, we all had personal computers. We all had cell phones, but like it was, I mean, we were right on the edge of that explosion of technology being integral in our lives. And it was also the time, and I guess every time period has this, where it's like, let's take a bunch of young, hot actors and keep putting them in things. And uh, yeah. I mean, everybody in this movie is a pretty attractive person. You know, the, the, <laughs> so uh, especially yeah. Tim Robbins. God, with that haircut, too. Oh, man. <laughs> um so yeah, it's 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 a product of its time. Yeah, the early two thousands. There was a glossiness. There was a, a a tempo to those movies. Like it, it had to be kind of fast paced. Um, you're living in a post matrix world, and yeah, I you could probably go back. You know, 1999 is such a pivotal year for movies that I bet you could probably go back to 1999 and find something that you're like, oh, this movie happened because that movie happened. Yeah, I'm sure there was something that we're like, oh, let's get the next group of young hot actors in here and run them through their, you know, thriller movie. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's definitely entertaining. And it it, surprisingly, as we're about to hit into big themes here, it surprisingly did cover the big themes that I wanted it to cover. It just did it in the like the most upfront and in your face and, and no subtext whatsoever all big text uh way that it possibly could which maybe is another uh, symptom of the early 2000s but uh, yeah I, I i mean they're basically the dialogue in the first 30 seconds of this movie is, is the big themes <laughs> and they're right yeah, up there the, on the table for you yeah the friends talking and sort of complaining about how they see nerve like what yeah. they see nerve nerve represent all right, so let's go into it. Let's name it. All right, so that's what we do on this show. We look at the themes of the movie, and then we're going to take a second to compare those themes to our author's book. So, 
Darren, what did you see as the big themes of this movie? Uh, the first one I put was like, I think monop- monopolizing things and sort of big big tech, I think could maybe go together as one theme where it's like, there's uh, a back and forth, I guess. And what his friends are arguing in the movie, what Milo and his friends are arguing in the movie is like, if you have this certain information and the, and the, the internet is unique to this. Well, it's not the only thing, but it's, it's one of the few things where like, there is this, because of how, because of how the internet works, there is this feel like it's another form of telecommunications. There's this feel that it should be open to everyone. Like everyone has access to it, or it's like everyone, if you go back, it's like, Oh, everyone should be able to make a phone call. Right. Like back in the day, right. Like everyone should be able to do that regardless of how much money you have or whatever. Um, and, but what happens with tech and what's, you know, still happens today is there's proprietary information and coding and things that companies create. And then if they want to keep it for themselves, it's not quote unquote, as they said, call it open source. And therefore everyone does not necessarily have access to it. And then you get into questions around equity and that's, it's a slippery slope of like what that, what that looks like. And so one company or a couple companies having the share of all these ideas and then making money off of it and other companies not being able to use a lot, utilize it slash big tech, because it's like, I guess big tech is a monopoly. So it's, they're, they're kind of, they kind of go hand in hand. There you go. There you go. Yeah, there is definitely debates to be had. I mean, the point of our podcast right here isn't to debate whether uh, open source uh, should be a thing like, you know, uh, do we need big tech to move to a more kind of socialist thing and away from capitalism and a more socialist platform where we do share all this? Or Mm -hmm. is the capitalism okay as long as it's fair capitalism and, you know, where it's not these monopolies that are forcing small competitors out of business or, you know, snatching them all up where like they say, any kid in a garage can put us out of business. They can't put you out of business if you're stealing their codes and killing them, but they can (laughs) put you out of business if they have a better idea than you. And that would be like the open and fair version of capitalism where it's like, I had the best idea at the time. I made a lot of money on it. Somebody else came up with a better idea. Now they're making all the money. Like, yeah, kind of how it's supposed to function. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So you're right. Uh, the movie it does it it does cover those things. So I give it credit for being a glossy, sexy, early two thousands movie. It it at least it, it at least addressed the things. It at least threw them out there to think about. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Um. Yeah. So so my kind of big themes. Obviously, that quote at the beginning: "Any kid in a garage can put us out of business." That Tim Robbins has. Or his character, mm-hmm. we should say, Gary Winston, who is the CEO of uh, Nerve. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, he's being uh, he's on uh, speaking in front of Congress, right? At the beginning, for sort of an antitrust trial uh, yeah. in front of Congress. And the other thing he says, um, the senator, I think it's the senator says, encouraging competition versus preventing it. And I, I kind of thought that was the big theme. And it's the big theme. I, you're going to hear me in a second talk how that kind of connects to Corey's book. But yeah, I I mean, if you have coding competitions and you 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 know venture capitalists are out there supporting startups and stuff like that, that's encouraging competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, when you're buying everybody up and stealing all the code and you need all the code for yourself, that's preventing competition. And uh, yeah, that's what makes him the villain. That's uh, making it very clear that that's what makes Gary Winston the villain of this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not just the way he yells at his lawyers. <laughs> um, did you have anything, anything else that you? I mean, yeah, the, the other thing I sort of had was and this is, you know, this is a discussion we could have too about big tech. And I think there's lots of different feelings about this, but for, for nerve in this movie, Milo discovers a significant surveillance system that they have put together. Right. So that I thought was enough of, to be considered a theme of like, so not only, yes, are they big tech? Are they, are they a monopoly, like buying up all the other companies, eliminating competition? They're also watching you. <laughs> in the, in this case, in this case, right? Yeah. So, and and I mean, it, I guess maybe it could be piggybacked with the monopoly thing because, in it's it's a way to eliminate your competition uh, illegally. <laughs> you know, like killing somebody. Yeah, it does eliminate your competition. Probably frowned upon. Um, opposed to buying them right yeah so yeah. so there is a there's a big surveillance aspect to this to um that i that i guess maybe maybe it's part of the the whole monopoly thing but um but yeah there's there's a lot of creepy surveillance that nerve also also does we might talk about that a little bit with Corey's book uh yeah yeah but uh yeah imagine the world if gary only knew the world we live in today like you don't think zoom right now is sending information about us you know uh that apple doesn't have the information on my webcam that's running right now on my laptop like (laughs) imagine that they could just hack into people's webcams every computer has a webcam built into it they wouldn't need any of that surveillance equipment yeah yeah and milo would have never figured it out nope um there that was the scene that was missing i needed a scene of the henchmen like actually installing the surveillance equipment how yeah are they, how are they sneaking it all in there I, that's what i was wondering too like how, <laughs> um okay yeah I, I honestly as far as themes go i i think that's like yeah that's pretty much it everything else yeah. i got here is a quick pick or it's yeah, everything from there is narrative like driving forward they're like okay this is the theme you know the theme in the first 10 minutes. Now we're going to give you, well, I don't know how what the runtime of this movie is, an hour and a half of narrative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. see if you could follow you know, Milo on this journey. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's move into top performers here. Who did you have? Again, we had Ryan Felipe. No, Philippi. There we go. As Milo Hoffman. Rachel Lee Cook. She's the girl from She's All That. That's what you mm-hmm. know her from. The one with mm-hmm. the glasses and the paint on her overalls. As Lisa Callahan. Uh, Claire Forloni, Forlani as Alice Polson or Rebecca Paul. She has dual identities in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's the girl from Mallrats. She's the one whose dad is putting on the dating game. That's how you know her. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Robbins as Gary Winston. He's the guy from Shawshank Redemption. That's No, I, I know you know who Tim <laughs> Robbins is. <laughs> I think those are the only big names. I'd be surprised if you go any further down this list. We do have Nate Dushku, who is the uh, brother of uh, Eliza Dushku, right? That's a 90s actress. I think that's a 90s actress. I have no idea. Um, I'll look it up while you tell me your top performer. Uh, 
I went with Tim Robbins as Gary Winston. He did a good job sort of capturing like a a Steve Jobs-esque type person, you know, like I I thought that if we didn't know him as Tim Robbins, the actor, he could pass as Tim Robbins, the tech startup or not startup, the tech giant CEO <laughs> guy. Like he, yeah, you know, there's a, there's like a calmness about him and like just the, the way he sort of, he speaks like somewhat general, things are kind of generalized. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And then and then Tim Robbins in the right context can be a, a creepy guy. Like he, there's he the the his mannerisms and the way he speaks like if you cast him as like scary or like the bad guy, it's not hard to do. Like it's it, he he actually can fill that pretty well. Um So yeah. So I thought, you know, I thought he was a convincing uh, villain in this uh, so yeah I gave it to Tim Robbins yes Tim Robbins clearly doing a Bill Gates impression like I mean yeah Bill Gates I, Steve Jobs whatever I yeah. think at the time Microsoft had some problems with that it is a combination yeah it is a combination of the two you're right yeah. Um, it's <laughs> it's definitely Bill Gates's haircut <laughs> with, with a little yeah. bit of uh, <laughs> and dress and look with a little bit of Steve Jobs's attitude um, yeah I don't think anything actually came from it, but I know that I feel like Microsoft had some problems with the portrayal. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. A, he can be really intimidating and scary. It helps that Tim Robbins is like a giant of a human being too, right? Yeah. Uh, there's another thing to look up. Tim Robbins is hype, but you put him next to Ryan Phillippe and, and any of these people, Rachel, Rachel Lee Cook, like he towers over her. He's six foot five. Hey, you're yeah. kind of, you're six foot four. You know what it's like. What's it like up there, yeah. Darren? <laughs> the air is clear. <laughs> I mean, I'm no I'm no shrimp at six foot, but I've guarded <laughs> you in basketball. You're you are taller than me. It is an advantage. <laughs> um so yeah, so uh yeah, I Tim Robbins was a good choice for this. Uh he's a very good choice. I was trying to come across uh a movie where he is like a creepy villain or like a creepy guy, but I can't <laughs> off the top of my head. There is a couple movies where he plays like bad guy and it is it's creepy for sure. I guess I'm going to have to go with top performer. I really like that security, the head of security guard guy. <laughs> I believed him. I believed he would be that hard ass and yeah. that uptight yeah. and also realize what was happening. Like I knew he was going to flip. <laughs> All right, probably not my top performer, though. Uh, can I talk about the three sexy kids of the group? Sure. <laughs> so Ryan Phillippe, Rachel Lee Cook, and Claire Forloni. Uh, yeah, I thought the trio of them were an interesting trio to lead uh, this movie. And I kind of, we didn't see Rachel Lee Cook really do any coding stuff. They just talked about how she was brilliant. And then she just had to sit there and look angsty the whole time, yeah. you know, like, so we didn't get to really see that much of her. But the emotional scenes, like the one in the rain where, He's like, I know what your parents did to you, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, all right, I'll help you. Like, I believed those scenes. And and Claire Forlani playing this kind of dual role of being his girlfriend, but also, uh, you know, being blackmailed to to be his girlfriend. It was conv- it was a convincing performance. I, I 
I bought it. The scene with the uh, the Szechuan dinner scene where he, he doesn't know if she put the sesame seeds in the sauce or not. Yeah, like, yeah that was good. A pretty tense scene, and both of them have to play it pretty well. So it was it was good it was good acting there. And Ryan Phillippe, like I actually get why he he didn't have that like teen icon and then crash and burn career. He's actually been cast in a lot of interesting roles since he was a teen icon. Yeah. And I, I actually, I think his career has been pretty interesting and it's cause he's a good actor. And there were some things he was asked to do in this movie that were a little ridiculous. Yeah. I will get to them in quick picks, uh, specifically his acting when he has to uncover everything <laughs> and this images are <laughs> flashing in front of his face. But <laughs> as a kid who's in way over his head, uh, I, I bought it. I, I thought he was interesting. He was a good choice to lead this movie. I don't know if there's another early 2000s actor that could have done it any better. There's probably definitely some that could have done it worse. I don't know if there's anyone that could have done it any better than he was doing it in this movie. So I yeah, enjoyed we, him as the lead of the movie. Com- completely as a, as like from a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a materialistic standpoint. Like if you like, Without glasses, he he kind of is that like sort of like sexy teen dude from back then. But you throw glasses on him, and he does look a little nerdy, you know. Which is, I think, is what they needed, right? They needed is yeah. is computer programmer, right? I mean, like you're you know spending most of your day in front of the computer. Well, what we're uh, saying is, if you put glasses on Freddie Prince Jr., nobody's buying it. We're not. That's exactly right. It. No, no, it'd just be like, oh, it's still. Sexy Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk connections to the book. And I, I, I feel like we were kind of holding back on big themes a little bit because so much of it is kind of tied to the book. And did they? Did they discuss the things that Cory Doctorow would have wanted them to discuss? So, uh, Darren, how did you... Let's just introduce Cory's book uh, first. So, The Internet Con, it is... Oh boy, it is about basically the big tech platforms and how they lock you in. Uh, they kind of hold you hostage. Like, go ahead, try to leave Facebook. See what happens. You, you, you know, all your friends are still on Facebook. You're disconnected from your communities. You're disconnected from your, you know, they keep your photos, you know, things like that. It's hard to get away. So that's one of the things in this book. But it's also a lot about these companies and how they big build themselves to be these giants, whether it's through maybe underhanded business practices or illegal, actual illegal things um, to build themselves up into these big giants and then how they build walls around you to kind of keep you in. So there's a lot of that in there. There's some other things that we talked about in in themes that are in there. It, it kind of does, in a very superficial way, it does bring up some of the concerns that Cory Doctorow has with the internet and big tech in his book. Yeah, Um like specific things to start with that I picked out that like, you know, sounds very familiar to reality is so at, at one point uh, when Milo still thinks that uh, Lisa is, is a good guy. <laughs> is that yes. call it? Good guy. <laughs> There's a lot of switching between good guys and bad guys <laughs> yeah. in this, in this Le- movie. Le- yeah. Lisa ends up betraying him and she's actually on a, uh, 
on, on the side of nerve um, to be honest i i wasn't sure if that was a betrayal or not until like she gets arrested at the very end i wasn't I was well like, she like yeah she like hugs the she hugs gary at, at, you know towards the end and i'm like oh so i don't know I know, but I was like, was she still? Because I was waiting to see where it was going to go. So I was like, is yeah, she still yeah. working with Milo? Like, is she trying to stay on the team nerve so she can undermine them? Right. In, right, right at right, the right. next scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So before that happens, they're discussing how they're going to get all this. So they want to they want to show show everything that nerve does, and they want to show it to everybody all at once. And they're discussing how to do that and they start like going through other media companies and places that they might be able to use to to display it to people and they soon discover that like all the other majority companies are somehow entangled with nerve whether it be like a sponsor or they're invested in them or you know so so it's like they can't really use them because they have an interest in nerve continuing to do well um which is very similar to things that we see today and then the other the other one was um you know and i they didn't dive deep into it but three quarters of the way through the movie he decides to stop by and go see a guy from the department of justice who visited milo early on in the movie um when Milo is considering accepting the job or already yes. accepted the job. How did I leave him off the, the cast list? Richard Roundtree, who you know, has shaft. <laughs> That's I, true. I leave him off the list. <laughs> yes. Uh, so he had, he had, he saw the department of justice. He had visited Milo and he, you got the impression that they didn't like nerve and they wanted my, Milo to work for them to kind of like control nerve or like watch them. Um, later on in the movie, however, he goes to see them after he find, after Milo finds out all this stuff, and then he puts some pieces together that this DOJ guy works for Nerve, or is at least maybe being paid by them to keep his mouth shut or whatever. So similar to this DOJ thing um, in the movie, you see companies doing this, and the you know the more official way, the more le- quote unquote legal way they do it is is through lobbyists, right? So they're people that are hired to go to government and lobby for them for you know all kinds of stuff um and then you know i'm not going to get into like other like oh what illegal stuff has happened or not happened blah 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 but i'm sure there's here and there there's shady stuff that goes on um so yeah so so i think both of those two things like if you're talking about like direct examples of like how it's hard to work against these companies because they're so intertwined with everything else I was surprised. I, I, part of me was like, why don't you just go down the hall to another DOJ person <laughs> and talk to them? Yeah. I, I mean, guess you can't know how far the conspiracy goes, right? You can't trust anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or be like, yeah, I am here. And now I'm going to talk to your boss. <laughs> go get yeah. <laughs> Uh Yeah. So definitely nailed some things from Corey's book there. Um uh, Boy, man, you had so much good stuff. I totally forgot what I was going to talk about. Um, the code, the code is definitely something that Corey gets into in the book, and how they would like write code. And this goes back to Microsoft and goes back to the '90s and how they would write code to lock you in to Microsoft. So back then, 
you had to have Microsoft Office. Everybody you knew had Microsoft Office. And the, the actual coding of a document was proprietary to them. And Apple tried to create like micro uh try to create their works thing that has like pages and whatever the other ones are. And it operated perfectly fine as a word processor and as a spreadsheet program, but it couldn't talk to Microsoft Office. So if 98% of the world is on Microsoft Office and you're the one person working on Microsoft Works, you're not <laughs> or not Microsoft Works on Apple Works, you're not going to be able to communicate with anybody. So it, until Apple was able to literally um, break their code and like reverse engineer their code so that you could open documents in Apple works. It, it, they had a monopoly. They, they had everybody in the world because of the, they had the code. Mm -hmm. So I definitely thought that this movie, I clearly the code being so important to what nerve was and what synergy, the thing or synapse synapse, the thing they were trying to launch, Mm -hmm. uh, it was so important for them to have the code that, uh, yeah, that took me back to what Corey was describing in his book between Microsoft and Apple and anybody else trying to do a word processor at the time. And, you know, it's like both, you know, both Microsoft and Apple are guilty of, of this, right? Cause then you turn around yeah. and Apple creates products that only work with Apple product or like it's right. So it's just, it's a never ending, like back and forth. And then they keep um, changing the charging cable and then there's. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to keep track of. <laughs> I think my favorite thing in the, in the book is Corey does like a timeline where he goes back throughout history and he's like, and you know who hates spotify and, and napster and all these things are the radio stations and you know who hated the radio stations the record companies and you know who hated the record companies <laughs> the, the sheet music people and you know who hated the sheet music people like <laughs> and it's history literally repeating itself like someone comes up with a new invention the people before them hate them they're like you you don't have proprietary sorry people can listen to music on phonographs deal with it and then somebody <laughs> else comes along with the superior technology and then the phonograph people are like but why they can't steal our customers so yeah it's it's yeah. amazing yeah. how much history repeats itself yeah and it just gets you know it's like i was saying earlier with when the internet it's so when it started to become a thing it was so foreign to everything else because you're no longer in a world where you you have to deal with physical versions of things right so like that totally changes the game because it's you know it'd be to your point like you're talking about like oh you can't listen to that unless you physically have that record right you, it's just not possible right like, right it's not physically possible but now it's just like you know it's the wild west like there's any anything goes because you can transfer things from here to there you know in two seconds literally as we're recording this i am trying to transfer files to work yeah. from home tomorrow so yeah <laughs> literally all right uh so i think that covers us on some of the connections to the book i think you could see why i picked this movie to pair with Corey's book uh all right darren let's move on to one of my favorite segments the most peculiar moments what do you have I kind of had two contenders going here, but I'm going to pick one. I'll just save the other one for quick picks. So what did you have for your most peculiar moment? Uh, mine was 
so we we start to learn that Alice, whose real name is Rebecca, is working for Nerve and and really like has been for a while, even before they recruited Milo to sort of like get to know him and like be on his side so they could manipulate Milo when he does start working for them. Um, soon after we discover that she's having a conversation on the phone with one of Gary's henchmen, one of the, there's two main henchmen. I don't remember. I don't even know if they had names. I they think it was did. Phil, Phil Grimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's talking to him on the phone. And at first it seems like Phil's in the room by himself and she's in a room by herself. And then like, you know, they're, they're doing one of those where like they're, um, doing a circular shot around Phil. So we're slowly seeing more and more of the the room around him as they're talking. And yeah, they're going back and forth talking about what he's learned, what she's learned about Milo or what he knows or whatever. <laughs> and then you see Tim Robbins is listening in on the phone call and they play this big dramatic music as if we should be surprised that the guy that hired Phil is also listening to the conversation between the two of them. It's like, yeah, we know he's the bad guy <laughs> and he's the bad guy's boss. We know. <laughs> you mean Phil isn't the evil villain of the movie? Phil? Wait, wait, Gary's listening to the conversation. That's insane. Why would he do that? Um, so it was just funny because it's like, it's like, yeah, all right, we get it. She's talking to the bad guys. It doesn't matter if it's all of them or one of them. It's all the bad guys. <laughs> I did enjoy that part of Gary's character was that he never directly did anything himself. And I do feel like this is something that a Bill Gates-esque person probably would do. Like, surprise yeah. me. Come up with a creative solution. Like, yeah. that's his way of saying, go murder someone. Like, right. oh, I just I just said, surprise me. I, I don't know, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like never taking responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, my most peculiar moment also has to do with Phil and Gary. Uh, it has to do with eating and drinking. So there's a moment in the beginning of the movie where Phil is drinking a soda so fast that it like he spills a little out of his mouth. <laughs> and then Gary is just like wolfing down potato chips, like sloppily eating potato chips yeah. for most of the movie. Yeah. And I was like... It, is this going to come back around? Like, is this, is this Phil spilling soda? Like, is he going to like spill on a keyboard and short out a computer at some point? Like, where is this going to come back around? No, it doesn't. It's just, it's just a thing that Ned Bellamy, the actor that played Phil decided to do either on that take or that day. He's like, you know what? I think Phil would drink his soda so fast that he would dribble a little out of his mouth. I, I think and Tim Robbins is like, I think Gary Winston is the kind of person that would eat potato chips by the handful. And yeah, I being think... someone, Darren, being someone who does eat potato chips by the handful, <laughs> I've been to Mexican restaurants with you. Don't deny it. <laughs> Maybe it's just a it's, sign of genius. That's just... right. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it was um this is my guess for I don't know about Phil's Phil's uh soda. I think I think you're right with that. <laughs> My guess for the chips was that like before Milo starts working at Nerve and there's he's still hanging out with his buddies, they do like eat a lot of potato chips and like kind of 
in that same manner, some of them a little bit. So I don't know if it was like supposed to be like, oh, hey, look, Gary's just like one of the, you know, he's just one of the kids. Just <laughs> one just of the old Stanford grads. Yeah. 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 But you're right. He does obnoxiously eat chips multiple times. <laughs> now I want the backstory. I want Ned Bellamy to do like a behind the scenes documentary. Oh, yeah. Like maybe he's one of those actors that like builds a whole backstory for his character. Like he, you know, he had a dog when he was a child and uh, yeah. his parents never bought him a cozy coop car. And so now he's this <laughs> way and he chugs soda <laughs> And like, so this is all the character he's built up in the background. So that actor, <laughs> when that director yells action, he's like, I'm going to drink the soda so fast. Because <laughs> that's what Phil Grimes would do. Yep. All right. So uh, moving on, you can see we're getting to the silly part of the show here. Uh, let's move into quick picks. This is not just our nitpicks of the movie. This is other little details that we just we have to call out. We got to talk about. Uh, this is where we throw it all in here. So what do you got for us in quick picks? Uh, my first one was towards towards the end of the movie when Milo is trying to get the satellites connected and Gary's trying to shut the satellites down so Milo can't connect the satellites. I thought the end of the movie was just going to turn into a who can type faster game. It's just going to be, it doesn't matter if you're good at programming. How quickly can you type? Because they're trying to both put in IP addresses at the same time. And it's like, Gary's getting to it first. And Milo tries to do it. And they can't connect to it because it's been, Gary got there, done. And I was like, oh, so the movie, this movie is going to be decided on who can plug these numbers in faster. I Yeah, it was a little bit of plot convenience where he's like, no, no, no. I know how this kid thinks. Give me number 12. Like, you know, I was <laughs> yeah, like, okay, yeah, that's yeah. a little, little convenient. But hey, they got yeah. there, right? They beat Gary. They did. Again. Sure did. Uh, I was thinking about Synapse. And this this idea of we want to be able to connect to every device. And in the end, they literally connect to every device, including the billboards in Times Square, which is how you know you've connected to every device in a movie. It's true. That is <laughs> yeah. that is the keystone. Yes. The official. <laughs> um, or, to- or Tokyo. Or Tokyo, yeah. One. The, yeah. The, <laughs> the billboards in Tokyo and New York, you got the whole world. Um, what did we have in 2001? Like, I was trying to think... Like, what did we have in 2001 when it came to sharing photo? We didn't have Facebook yet. I We didn't get Facebook at Ohio State till 2003. Yeah. Like, we had AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. But, like, yeah, did we think... have anything at the time that would have connected us? You mean, be, be, well... Yeah, I mean, I think Instant Messenger is probably the, the, the main one, at least the main one that I used. I mean, because you, you could... Right, theoretically, talk to anyone anywhere. I think it went. In, I think it went international, didn't it? Yeah. Could you text a picture? Could you? Could you send a text? I message don't picture? know if there was any media. No, I think it was all text. When did I, I get think. my Samsung A six seventy? I remember the Samsung A six seventy because I was very excited about the Samsung A six seventy, and right before I could show it to my friend, I dropped it in Lake Erie. <laughs> and it's where and that's where it's, in my mind i was gonna say that's where it still is the probably. bottom yeah the bottom of the marina um so yeah i remember we had text messaging on that phone did the nokia bricks have text messaging yeah they had text messaging and I, but i think you know like any any sort of quote unquote like picture you wanted to send. I think it was all like emojis, but like the old school emojis where they were just made up of actual text. Yeah, it was colon 
parentheses. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Um, I, okay. I don't think there was, I don't think you could send photos. I don't think. So Synapse would have blown everyone's mind. Yeah. yeah. It would have. Yeah. Um, it's also funny, God, that the, now I'm thinking about this. It's funny that the compression is like the thing. If you fast forward to the TV show, Silicon Valley, which is just an absolute classic HBO TV show. Um, admittedly, the actors on it have turned out to be pretty problematic eh, post, not Martin Starr, not Kamal Nanjiani, um, the other ones. Um, but like compression is the thing they're trying to solve in that too. Like it, it I, I guess if we got a bunch of tech nerds on here, they'd be like, yeah, compression is the problem. Like that's the problem everybody's trying to solve for the history of the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's way over my head. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Moving on. Let the, the quick picks for a reason. Moving on. Um, my next one was that uh, Redmond Schmeichel, <laughs> who's one of the another one of the henchmen, played yes, by Tyler. Yes. yes. Tyler Labine. Labine. Uh, his soul patch was terrible. <laughs> he just he was fully rocking he had no facial hair except for just like a a index finger worth of, of facial hair right underneath his mouth and it was awful <laughs> yeah but you, people did that in the 90s that was that was that was maybe the most early 2000s thing of this whole movie was his facial yeah. hair yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Uh, my next one in the beginning, when they're listening to the press conference, the Synapse press conference, uh, and the four boys from Stanford are all huddled around the computer, and Teddy types in a question, a real hard hitting question. Yeah. And then they're mad that Gary doesn't answer it. They move on to, or Phil doesn't answer it. They move on to a different question, uh, a softball question. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. never hit send. They just type the question in the chat bar and never actually click send. I noticed that too, and I was like, "Oh, well, maybe it just worked differently back then." No, they didn't hit send. Don't give them the benefit of the doubt here. Come on, we're tearing them apart in this in this section of the the podcast here. They did not hit send. You can't true. fault them for not answering your question when you didn't send it in. It did not look like they hit send. It looked like it was just it just sat there. Um, my next one is actually um, uh, not a nitpick. It's just sort of like good for them. The Making the kids center, like the brain trust of all the surveillance thing. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. They were some good criminals. Of oh, the kids, yeah. The actual kids. No, no, the, the little kids center. Oh, like, the, the kids center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that they made that like the the place where all the stuff was stored, all the all the incriminating stuff was stored. Okay, so that Yes, yes, I agree with you. And that leads me to my quick pick, which I was going to bring up next, which was something that probably could have fit into themes, but it was a little too small for big themes. It's how much uh, philanthropy does it take to offset the evil? So, and the Hmm. daycare being the veil of their conspiracy is the perfect physical manifestation of this, right? Yeah, yeah. You created something that should be good and altruistic, but it's hiding your evil intentions you know, same thing with I have don't you know I have any idea how much I donate to operas and museums and Bill Gates has the Bill Gates Foundation like he literally donates millions of dollars every probably every day um, knowing how much <laughs> money that guy has but yeah. we also know he has enough money that if he snapped his fingers he could cure world hunger you know so like 
how much philanthropy does it take to offset the evil? And how much are you really holding yeah. back? No, it's a good question. Yeah, because it's like maybe doing not great stuff in one sense, but also doing good stuff in another sense. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> uh Probably the answer is probably not enough. There's probably not enough operas you can support <laughs> to, to, to offset the evil you're doing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else you got? Um. Oh, I was just just across the board. I was like, damn, you this poor guy can't trust any of the women in his life. They're just all secretly against him. <laughs> just all. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, except maybe his mother. We never met his mother. Maybe she's, maybe yeah, she's, she's part. She's probably working for Nerve too. <laughs> <laughs> you will send your son to Stanford, and we will pay you to do it. Yeah, right. You're going right, to need right, him right. in five years. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh the plot. Let's just talk about the the actual plot in the movie and how the writers thought they were so smart. And I was a scene ahead of them every step of the way. <laughs> like, you know, the thing where it's like, oh, my God, it's Teddy's code. I'm shocked that it is Teddy's code. Like, you know, the whole yeah. the, the line, one of his friends says the one line, it's not the bandwidth, it's the something else. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary repeats it to him like that was a little dumb. But like, clearly we knew it. Like, I You knew it was Teddy's code. Where else is that code coming from? Right. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he uncovers everything at the daycare. He basically uncovers what we already knew. Yeah. And then uh, the scene where they figured out that they're going to use... You, you talked about the scene already where they're like, maybe we can go to a news organization. No, the news organizations are in Gary's pocket. We'll use Synapse. We'll finish Synapse. And I was like, guys, get to Synapse. You're going to use Synapse against him. Like, that is the plot <laughs> of this movie. Get to the idea, please. So I felt like I was a scene ahead of them. I, I get. I'm assuming as a writer, it's really hard to write a thriller like that where you keep everybody a scene behind. Yeah, probably a hard job. But I was definitely a scene ahead of them for most of the most well, of the middle of the end smart. of the movie. Uh, you didn't so see that smart. coming. I don't know. So, yeah, some of it I did. <laughs> uh, uh, but it was. I, I do. I do think while we're talking about the scene, Ryan Phillippe's acting as everything is flashing in front of his eyes. <laughs> just uh, it was over the top oh my gosh oh no oh my i can't believe my eyes like it it was pretty over the top but i also don't know how you're supposed to act like how else are you supposed to act that scene and how else are they supposed to dump all that information to us the audience yeah it was it's probably just a bad directing decision to even show his face like they you could they could have just showed us the like what he what's going through his head without showing his face and that might have been better they had a few moments where they like superimposed his face over revelations that's what i mean just yeah, weird yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right you got anything uh, else that's all of my quick picks okay i got a few more uh first off this is my other candidate for most peculiar moment uh when he goes back to the doj and john shaft uh richard roundtree is like he's like hey do you remember me and he's like uh, Milo, Milo. Nobody's named Milo. No, <laughs> there's nobody named Milo in in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Milo, really? 
<laughs> I good acting uh DOJ agent Lyle Barton like <laughs> um and then uh there's a line about buying the toys before the movie's even over um you know synapse that was going to be what synapse could do like it was going to be that or his his network nerves network was going to be that advanced um we're basically there aren't we yeah aren't we like yeah you listen you listen to a song and they're like download it now for a dollar 99 you i'm pretty sure disney plus when you finish like a pixar movie it takes you to a screen where you can buy like pixar things from the disney shop yeah i'm not i wouldn't be surprised i'm pretty sure we're there there's also like i mean this is a little different because it is you're it's dealing with it's a little different, but have you have you heard of the concept fast fashion? No, you know I'm a very fashionable person, Darren. <laughs> yeah, the peculiars know. know they get to see me on camera. <laughs> so fast, fast fashion is like they, and I guess it's not exactly specifically tech related, but kind of I don't know. Um, you like see Kim Kardashian wearing like a dress, and like the next day or later that same day, there's some company like making a really cheap version that looks like it that you could buy like immediately like ah yeah gotcha gotcha yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah we're, we're there i mean they're, they're, they will yeah. do anything they can to get to our credit card yeah anything all right so i got two more left uh first off the uh very dramatic vehicle tracking screen that flipped up in uh tyler labine's uh car so that they could track where Milo was going. A very dramatic reveal that said like vehicle tracking. Like everything in this movie had big labels on it. So you were very <laughs> clear what you were looking at. Every screen, every monitor had a big, dumb, obvious label on it. Like an yeah. Austin Powers movie. <laughs> and then uh, my last one, I, I, I guess we should have talked about some themes a little bit is the last quote from Milo, the thing he says to the press as they're hounding him. By the way, that guy, you know, knocking that girl, you know, knocks that girl's question and jumps in with his own question. Very rude. Very rude. Mr. Reporter. Um, But his last quote is, we've given Synapse back to the people it was stolen from. Human knowledge belongs to the world. Do we agree with this? I think we should end with, do we agree with this statement? Human knowledge belongs to the world. Yeah. And did they actually give Synapse back to the people it was stolen from? Well, I mean, I think he's... I think yes, because he's saying that, that they essentially made the code that makes it work open source, right? They just gave it up to everybody, so... Right. So, so I they, think they yes. Hit that. They hit that. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then what's the second half Human knowledge belongs to the world. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I agree with that statement. It's... I think it's hard because it's it does get back to like an an equity kind of thing, right? Like, do if because that's why the internet is it's just it's it's weird own thing because it you get start asking questions about like oh who has access and do the people that have access are they smarter or more privileged because they have access? You know, do they have do they have more opportunities in life because they have it? You know, I don't know. You know, I'm going to throw an example at you. Does a chef's recipes belong to the world? If I'm a chef that has the perfect recipe for something, if I'm the soup Nazi from Seinfeld, do, do my recipes belong to the world? Well, yeah, well, that's where 
that's where it gets i mean that that that's gets into all these questions right about yeah. like so you could replace chef's recipes with uh proprietary coding exactly from a tech yeah. tech right yeah so i don't know so i mean it's yeah, I, I just I, the internet's weird because because right you have capitalism is always going to be a thing with it because like you know people start companies and they want to make money, but it is like a it's it's like a utility almost right it's a it's a it's like now it's I mean a now, utility yeah right it's really like it's like having heat or like gas to cook or like you know whatever you know it's it's and so so it's that's what makes it all very sticky. I would say that, yeah, in in one of the things that I'll bring up uh, the Internet Con, our book, one more time, and a word that we didn't mention yet, but interoperability. That's Corey's big thesis, is, is, is interoperability is going to solve these problems. And it's what eventually, now we all have Microsoft Office on our Apple computers because of interoperability. It can, everything can work with it. And I think that is probably the line there. Like, it's not wrong of nerve to have a program like Synapse, like to create it and have it be, hey, look, we created this this thing. It's our company's thing. But the interoperability allowing other people to work with it is that human knowledge belongs to the world part of it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think necessarily, I mean, it's not your fault for coming up with a brilliant computer code. It's not your fault for coming up with a brilliant idea. Uh, but then the way you share that with the world is is the line between you know, what's right and what's wrong, what's moral and what's just. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, unless you got anything else, I think that wraps us on the movie Antitrust. Did I mention how attractive these young kids are? <laughs> <laughs> uh i i enjoyed it i i and hey look we had a nice deep conversation off of a movie that i'm sure if you look at the reviews on rotten tomatoes nobody's calling this a deep movie but (laughs) we had a deep conversation because of it so good job movie Uh, yeah i mean it's it's dealing with stuff that's definitely interesting to talk about and is still very much a part of our world we usually do trivia at the end here but i'm not sure any of this trivia is interesting it is the nerdiest trivia page in the history of imdb <laughs> it's all like did you notice in this html code it was a reference to this or blah blah, blah. like it was all what was in the code like hidden things in the code like p1984 when he's typing in the in the kids nursery is like a reference to george orwell's book 1984 uh, uh yeah it's just it, it's things like that uh Basically, that's all the trivia. So not no, there's no earth shattering trivia in this one. Um, but uh, yeah, just if you are into code, pay attention to the code. You, you'll find things hidden in there, Easter eggs and things to find. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That does it for the movie Antitrust. Coming up next month, we uh, I, I have one I'm very excited about, one that instantly came to mind. So for February, we are doing the book Doctors and Distillers, The Remarkable Medical History of Beer, Wine, Spirits, and Cocktails by Camper English. And when I heard that, I my mind immediately, immediately went to 1988's Tom Cruise classic cocktail. Can you think of a more boozy movie than the movie Cocktail? 
So we, uh, Tom Cruise, Elizabeth Shue, Brian Brown, Gina Gershon's in this. Um, so yeah, we're going to have some 19, I mean, some real serious 1980s fun. We are in the, like the heart <laughs> of the 1980s here. This isn't, this isn't the 1970s spilling into the 1980s. This is, this is prime 1980s right here. So the soundtrack I know is going to be amazing. I, I, the cocktails I'm sure will be amazing. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what the cocktail is that Brandy does for the peculiar book club for this when the whole <laughs> book is about cocktails. So, uh, I should say our drink maven. We have a drink maven that helps Brandy with these cocktails. So I can't see what, wait to see what she comes up with. So, uh, it, unfortunately I don't see it streaming anywhere right now. So if you want to keep pace with me and Darren, you're probably going to have to go to one of these big tech companies and rent it. God darn tech companies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 1988's cocktail is the movie for next month. Uh, and we got some good ones coming up. Um, I, I, we have some movies that I'm very excited about, uh, for coming up throughout the whole year. So, uh, stick with us, get ready for some fun movie conversations. All right. Thanks for joining us on the peculiar movie club. Make sure to subscribe. Wait, wait, wait. If you stuck to us to the very end, I mean, if you are a person that stuck to the very end of the podcast, you're going to get one bonus thing. Remember how I said Nate Dushku was in this movie? He played one of his buddies. Eliza Dushku, she's uh, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's where you would know her from. You know her from mm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You'd also know her from the show Dollhouse. Uh, you know her from movies like True Lies, Bring It On, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, yeah, you know her from a lot of things from the same time period we're talking here, late 90s into the 2000s. Uh, but yeah, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is probably the big one that people know her from. So there you go. If you stuck around to the end, I finally brought that full circle. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Peculiar Movie Club. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on whatever podcasting app you are listening on, whether you're leaving that rating or review for the main show, The Peculiar Book Club, or for our little sideshow, The Peculiar Movie Club. Uh, isn't it all kind of a sideshow, though? Uh, it helps the show grow. It helps people find us and, uh, you know, gives them a little bit about what we're all about. Plus, it's also a fun way for us to get feedback from you on how we're doing on this show. So make sure to leave those ratings and reviews. We'll be back with more Peculiar Books on the main show, and we'll expand those themes in the movie world every month right here on the Peculiar Movie Club. <laughs>